Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Insider, brought to you just for a change by Vanishing Ink. My guest today was born in Ecuador and is an amazing sleight of hand magician. He's been on Foolers twice and Time Out ranked his show Seesaw as the number one magic show in the whole of that there New York. It's Siegfried Tiber. Siegfried, how are you this morning? I am very well, Damien. Thanks for having me here. It's a pleasure. I'm thrilled. Well, thank you very much for doing it. Uh, you, you know the show, so you know it's a short show and there's no time for pleasantries. What's your origin story? You have 26 seconds. Goodness. Born and raised in Ecuador, as you mentioned, I joined and enrolled at University for Mechanical Engineering when I was 18. At the same time, I got interested in magic. Five years after that, I decided to pursue magic as a career. I did magic full time for two years. After that, I moved to Los Angeles. I intended to stay here for about two months to test the waters and see, test the magic atmosphere. It's been seven years since then. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Let's go back to Ecuador and your formative years in magic were, as you said, performing in Central and South America. Tell us a bit about the differences in the magic culture there and how that impacts what you're doing today. Um, the main difference that I see is that uh, the magic community is very, very, very small. Uh, yeah. Partly because of demographics, Ecuador mm. is a tiny country. Nowadays, 17 million people in comparison to almost 400 that the USA has where I am right now. So that's part of it. But uh, then again, the, the magic community was very, very small. That said, I had the extreme good fortune of meeting someone who was my first, who became my first mentor. And this was someone who taught me not only tricks and techniques, but he taught me how to care about the magic and how yeah. to see it as an art form. The conversations we would have early, early on were way beyond where you put your pinky finger. Those were those conversations were there, of course, because I was uh, just tipping my toes into the waters of magic. Mm. But this person led me to think deeper about magic, much quicker than I would otherwise have done. Sure, sure. Um, as I understand it, one of the reasons that you went to LA was to study acting. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, so how how important do you think acting is for magicians? I think it's essential. I think there are many, many, many lessons to learn from acting. I had the good fortune that I was at a point in my life where I could basically, uh, I had the luxury of being able to enroll at a college for acting. I came initially and I intended to join an acting school for two months. After that, one thing led to another. I, uh, I ended up doing a two-year program where I got an associate degree. That means a two-year degree um, uh, official 
education degree here in the US. That gave me so, 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 so much. However, there are people, uh, prolific magic, uh, proficient magic performers who have no formal training in acting, mm -hmm. but still uh, have been able to absorb as much from that world as possible. I think that uh, formation in theater and in stage performance is essential, whether that is formal or informal, it, it, it's there. And some magicians might learn all that without even realizing, but mm -hmm. you know that they are aware of the basic concepts of theater and performance. If you sure. can learn those from a book or a mentor and speed up the process, much better. <laughs> what do you think is the single most important thing those two years taught you? They taught me how to work from a script, okay. which is not easy. Eugene Berger was a big proponent of the scripting magic, and he would often talk about timing. Mm -hmm. And he would talk about his his aspiration of talking about timing to magicians and how essential timing is. And sometimes he would realize that it was pointless because magicians don't have anything to time because they don't have a script and they don't have a choreography to accompany the words. Then again, I think that all of all of that can be learned um, from practice only. The way I learned it was from mentors, mentors as in acting school and books, but those were very, very valuable lessons that translated to magic. I'm also a big proponent of um, having a scripting magic, and I think that the, in my mind, the two main advantages of having a script is that first of all, you have words to accompany the actions so you don't find yourself going through some extraneous actions without an apparent outward motivation and with the audience wondering what on earth is he doing? He has shuffled that deck of cards three times already. What's up with that? So I think that the script can help cover and disguise actions. And on the other hand, once we go a little deeper, I think that the script can serve the purpose of helping us figure out and consciously thinking about the narrative, the idea that we want to communicate through our magic. In my performance, I aspire that the idea, the narrative, the story I want to tell, I aspire to be more than look what I can do or here I have three cards, now I have four. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, sorry, this just caught no. my attention. It seems like in your background that's scripting magic, right? Yes. Those two black books. Oh, scripting magic. There you go. So <laughs> scripts are important in this. <laughs> um, you recently came back to fool us. Uh, talk about what the experience is like as a performer, as a magician. Nerve-wracking. Goodness, <laughs> it was. Both the first and the second times, they were 
absolutely soul crushing in the most positive ways. Everyone who has seen the show knows that Penn and Teller are extremely kind and gracious. They are so, so, so welcoming and so polite about people performing on their stage. They are welcoming people at their home and they are very gracious about it. I've been doing magic for about 15 years now. Shortly after I got, I I know I've heard about Penn and Taylor and I know there was a dude that was very tall and another one that was short and one didn't talk, but I didn't really know which was which. Shortly after I got interested in magic, I got very interested and I started studying Penn and Taylor's work. I could, I, I, I would read and watch everything that I could put my hands on. So since they won, practically, they've been two of my heroes. So having the opportunity to perform for them was Ah, what, what was a thrilling experience. Jeff McBride would say, he, he said this to me many years ago, and he has said this in interviews and in print many times, that there's nothing wrong about having butterflies in your belly as long as you can teach them how to fly information. Meaning, <laughs> try to make the best out of nervousness. To go back to your question, it was nerve-wracking, but it was also both experiences have been two of the highlights of my life, no doubt about it. Watching the Foolish uh, performances, your uh, character is quite full-on, would be the, the English phrase for it. How did that develop and evolve from when you left the mechanical engineering course to, to now? Oh, And how goodness. many coffees I... do you actually drink before you perform? <laughs> oh, goodness. I take that as a compliment. I am a big coffee drinker. Now I'm going to talk about coffee for 20 minutes. Anyway, I am a big coffee lover nowadays through a lot of self-restraint. I'm only doing one coffee a day. But oh. about two years ago, I would do five to seven full cups of coffee a day. So a lot of energy in my bones. Anyway, character, I'm a big proponent of the, or at least the approach I have personally taken is that my onstage character is just a looser version of myself, loose air in terms of a slightly wackier and more outroverted, extroverted version mm-hmm. of myself. If you had asked me the same question a few years ago, I would have told you, no, it's not a character. I'm not playing a character. It's just myself. The way I think about it now is I do think it's a character because the Siegfried you see on the stage has magical powers, can snap his fingers and make one card race to, from the center of the deck up to the top. That's a power of stage Siegfried doesn't have because I'm playing boy wizard on the stage. Sure. And thus I am a character, but personality wise, 
I, I, it's just me allowing myself to be a little wackier. I, I, I think it's not unusual in performance for us to consider ourselves a little reserves, reserved or a little introverted. I, I consider myself in everyday life not the most outgoing person out there. If I go to a party, I'm not the person who is the first to hit the dance floor. My girlfriend usually has to drag me there. <laughs> when I'm among good friends, I, I feel more comfortable, but uh, I tend to be slightly on the shy side on social situations. So, so it's more of a, seems like it's like a, an internal monologue an internal justification because you're talking about actually having the powers so how did that is that hanging out with people at the magic castle and thinking about this stuff how did you go it how did you get to that realization do you know what i mean yes do you mean how i got to the intellectual realization mm. that i'm playing a character or mm. how i got to the character that i'm playing let's let's do let's have both of those let's have both uh, the intellectual realization came after many, many years of thinking about the magic. And this is not a pressing question in the sense that you could go through your whole life in magic without even thinking about it. But I think that the more you think about all of this and the more conscious decisions that you make, the richer and more colorful your performance and your inner life will be. Okay, so conscious decisions about what? About material, about moves, about scripts, about everything? About every single thing. I do think that every single aspect of our performance should be a conscious decision. I have been uh, teaching uh, for, I've been teaching students for the last five years or so on and off. But a few months ago when lockdown hit, I developed a structure to teach students virtually. Something I get asked from students all the time, from all levels is, what if I leave the deck on the table? Does it matter? Yes, the answer is yes, it always matters. Every single thing should be a conscious decision. If I ask you, if I ask a student, why did you do that? I don't know, it's not a valid answer. There always should be a rationale for absolutely everything. I understand that's a highly idealistic goal to aspire to easier said than done but i think yeah. that as much as we can control everything should be a conscious action i think that it's the idea that anything can be art has been thrown out there before we all magicians want to think that magic is an art i think that for me my my benchmark benchmark for art to be art is that it needs to be a conscious process, a conscious realization. There's the 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 old discussion in the art art world about Jackson Pollock. 
Everyone could do that. Everyone could smear paint on canvas. Meh. Yeah, maybe, maybe everyone could do it, but he did it first. Yeah, and yeah. he did it as a conscious act, as an act of creation and expression. And my, my four-year-old nephew maybe could replicate that. And for the untrained eye, it might look somewhat similar. But what my nephew does is smear paint on canvas. What Jackson Pollock did was a conscious act of creation. And that's why we keep him on museums, not to mention that he was the first to do it. Nowadays, it's easy. Vernon revolutionized card magic. You look back at Vernon's ambitious card routine in the Stars of Magic, and it's okay. But it's okay because after 50 years or 60 or 70, the technology of magical methods have, has evolved so much that now we look back and Vernon, Vernon's ambitious card routine, meh. But at the time, it was revolutionary. Yeah, yeah. And without Vernon, none of us would be doing ambitious card, period. That's the way it is. Yeah, yeah. Interesting about Pollock, because um, you speak quite often about your influences outside of magic. Um, can you talk specifically about how you integrate those influences into your performance today? Yes. Sometimes, I, I, I think it's essential for all of us, if we aspire to be called artists, to take as much inspiration from the outside world, from life, and from all the arts, as much as inspiration as we can. Sometimes those, in my personal work, sometimes those influences are reflected in an indirect way. Sometimes those are reflected in a bit more of a direct way. Uh, there are ideas that have come to me, whole ideas or premises for performance pieces that have come from me from the arts, from watching a painting, from reading a book, from taking a walk in the park. Sometimes it's just a line. Sometimes it's about the way I approach the work. But I like to think that all of that is immersed. Then again, sometimes I, my favorite author in the whole world is Neil Gaiman, a fiction, fantasy writer, Neil Gaiman. I'm stolen a lot from him. Uh, for example, in the, in the memorized any card at any number, there's a line that I'm paraphrasing, but I basically, I stole from Neil Gaiman. <laughs> uh, Gaiman wrote a piece on memory as a tribute to Ray Bradbury. And the way it's found the its way into my performance. There's a point, my memorized any card at any number routine, it's multiple faces. It's basically four faces where someone names a card, someone names a number, and I find it. I do it once, I do it twice. And before I do it the third time, I would tell people, 
let's try something a little more ambitious. This might not work. It doesn't always work, but we might as well try. Better to try and fail than to live wondering what would have happened if we tried, right? And off we go. I personally, I, I think that tiny line gives a lot of depth to the piece. That's a line I lifted from Neil Gaiman, and I'm proud to admit it, because I took inspiration from someone I admire from one context, and I mm -hmm. thought it would be a good fit, and adapted it to, to a different context. I think it's stealing as a conscious act. It's not out of laziness. It's out of, I'd like to think of it as a nomad, and it's taking inspiration from the world in which we live. Then again, in this case, it's a very specific line that I took from an outside um, inspiration. Influence, sometimes yeah, yeah. it's a concept, sometimes it, it, it's just a way you approach the work. Sure, sure. Um, as with so many, um, you've pivoted to doing these virtual shows now. What have you learned in the journey that you've been on with them? The most straightforward answer is that I've learned to perform in a new medium because it is a completely new medium. I got interested in magic like many of us. I, I got into magic uh, doing close-up magic, specifically mm -hmm. card magic. A few years ago, about three, four years ago, I started flirting with the idea of stand-up and stage magic, not stage as in large illusions, but uh, stand-up and platform magic. That was a hard transition. It took me a year to start to get a little comfortable. Virtual magic is a completely new medium. I found out that in transitioning, not transitioning, because I didn't fully transition, I didn't ever stop doing close-up magic, but in also embracing stand-up magic, there were many lessons from stand-up that I was able to apply in close-up magic. I know there are many lessons that I've learned doing virtual magic that I hope I'd like to... Uh, that I hope I'd be able to apply into in-person close-up magic, into stand-up magic. Uh. Um, and another lesson, something, for me, probably the hardest part of it was not having the full, the two-way communication and being mm -hmm. able to fully experience the reaction from people. Because in most uh, uh, video chat platforms, Zoom, the, the best known, if you have more than three, four people unmuted and everyone clapping or talking, the software goes crazy. So I, I know some people have tried to find ways around it and muting several participants at a time. My go-to is everyone is muted. Every 90% of the show, I'm interacting with someone directly, which means this, per this person has their microphone open. So at least I get the feedback from that person. But not hearing people gasp or cheer was very hard. And I like to think that also led me to 
accept the fact that they are reacting and they are having a good time and, and, and be able to trust my work in a much deeper way. Even if I don't uh -huh. hear them clap or laugh or cheer, I, I need to trust my material and my performance and, and my preparation. And I need to trust that what I'm doing has power and impact. Yeah, because without that external validation. Uh, absolutely. Uh, and, uh, and that external validation is something, had you asked me two years ago, do you care if they clap? No, I don't care because I'm yeah. an artist and I do this for myself, not for the external validation. I like to think that I still don't do it only for the external validation. But the magic being a performance art, you are doing it for the audience. Or, or at yeah. least I am doing it for the audience. I'm doing it for myself as well, but I'm doing it for the audience. I, I like to think as magic as a sharing experience. If you are not doing it for the audience, you are being selfish and self-indulgent. Self Why would you step on a stage if you're not doing it for the audience? It doesn't mean that the audience or the market has to guide your every decision, but, but um, you are also doing it for the audience if you're stepping on a stage. Yeah, yeah. Get this for a segue, you ready? Talking of virtual shows, you're going to be performing for our Showtime series tomorrow. Fact checking child here. Daddy got it wrong. It's Wednesday, not tomorrow. Sorry about that. What should people expect from your performance? And if you're listening to this in the future, then I'm sorry you missed it. Yes, exactly. Hopefully they'll listen before. People can expect me to be terrified as I was for Penn and Taylor. <laughs> I, I, I have, there's a lot of nervousness and anxiety because, oh goodness, Vanishing Ink, Showtime, and many, many fellow magicians will be there. However, besides that, I, my, I'm going on that stage my living room, but still on that stage, willing to share what I've been going through for the last few months of my life. I want to share with people indirectly how I'm approaching this new medium, both on the craft aspect, on the performance, on the technique, on the technical elements, and also on the artistic approach to it something a big piece of of the performance I, i'll be doing for vanishing ink is the memorized any card at any number that i did for pen and teller it's a performance piece i'm very very proud of magicians who have seen it have said very kind things about it it's not my closing piece but in my heart it's definitely the feature piece of my act. I'm very proud of it, and I'm very excited about be. sharing it with other people. Um, Siegfried, we're out of time, man. But uh, we always end the show with four quick-fire questions. Are you ready? I am not, but go still. Uh, Favourite pizza topping? Beef. 
ground beef they like like the meatball thing ground okay. beef okay uh favorite movie big fish favorite person or people who make music amanda palmer can i swear yeah but I'll amanda it. fucking palmer that <laughs> she goes for amanda fucking palmer i love her not only a musician but an extraordinary poet an activist an artist all around love her and finally who would you rather fight one massive andy gladwin or a hundred tiny joshua jays Tiny Joshua Jays. Okay. That one is disturbing, but tiny Joshua Jays. <laughs> well, I, 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 this... I, I, think, I, I think I might have a fighting chance if I fight many tiny, very tiny Joshua Jays. <laughs> well, for people who are on the ball and are listening to this podcast today on Monday, tomorrow... Oh, hi again. It's Fat Tech and Child. To be clear, it's Wednesday, not Tuesday. Silly Daddy. Is the show. You can get the tickets at vanishinginkmagic.com and we look forward to seeing you and all of our magician friends around the world for a live virtual show tomorrow. Siegfried, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. The pleasure has been all mine. Thank you for having me here. Boom. And now I press stop. Now...